great palette of colour. Life is full of these grey areas, it's not just black and white. An identity-forming experience. You are listening to Eastside Radio Podcast, with discussions and insights on art, politics, music and more, here on eastsidefm.org. If you are still seated, I'd be very surprised. Welcome to Changing the Face of Jazz. This is a series which focuses on young women who've been making their names as jazz instrumentalists in the past few years. All of them have taken part in projects which were aimed at encouraging more young women to study jazz and think about music as a career. Most of them have been recipients of the prestigious Jan Rutherford Award. They're all changing the face of jazz. The musician featured in Changing the Face of Jazz this week is trombonist Alex Silver. Alex, in 2005, was the first recipient of the Jan Rutherford Award, the award established to support and give an opportunity to young women instrumentalists to develop their careers in jazz. It gives them an opportunity to get a band together, to get some music together, to record their music and also to perform in some of the best venues venues around Sydney. We're going to hear some music of Alex's actually recorded live in 2014 for the Jazz Action Society and made available on a double CD called The Ruby Sessions, which features a number of other recordings made live for the Jazz Action Society. Before we hear Alex talking about her music and how she got into music, we're going to hear a track called It Could Happen To You. And after we've heard Alex in her own words, we'll hear a track called Hit and Myth. We'll also hear snippets from a third piece, Jack the Lad. So here, in her words and her music, is trombonist Alex Silver.
Alex Silver is a trombone player, first and foremost. I do a lot of teaching as well. I am currently the director for the SEMA Young Women's Jazz Workshops and have been for the last six years when I took over from Sandy Evans. But first and foremost, I'm a trombone player and, and writer and arranger. I first started playing music when I was about five. I started with piano, as many small children do. I wasn't overly keen on piano. It was something that I was forced to do. I enjoyed it to a certain to a certain point. It wasn't until I joined the school band when I was about 10 and made the decision, oh, I want to play trombone. And then from there on, once I started, it was, it was non-stop. But up until then, it was sort of a bit sporadic and half-hearted, I think. I have no idea what it is about the trombone that particularly attracted me. I'd been playing a year before I started uh, with trombone, I'd been playing glockenspiel in the school band. Uh, coming from a piano background, they said, anybody who plays piano, oh, we've got a glockenspiel, come along and play it. So I did that. And about halfway through that year, for some reason, just something got fixated in my mind. I went, I want to play trombone. Mom, Dad, I want to play trombone. They go, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> Such a strange instrument. And then by luck, I changed schools the year after that. And the gentleman who ran the band was a trombone player. So when we went to the band information day, they said, oh, what do you want to play? And I, I said trombone. Mum and Dad said glockenspiel. And he went, give her a trombone. <laughs> and that was really it. There weren't very many women trombone players, and there's, there still aren't. For me, it was never it was never about gender. It didn't bother me who who played the instrument. I was quite fortunate early on that I was exposed to some amazing trombone players. I think I saw I saw James Greening after I'd been only been playing for a, a few months. Catholics were playing at the Newport Jazz Festival in the beer garden at the Newport Arms, and I saw them, and and that was it. James was a huge inspiration on me when I was when I was younger, and I was fortunate enough to later learn from him. There's a couple of things that drew me to jazz when I was quite young. One of the band conductors I, I had ran a community big band which had been going for a very, very long long time called Brass Machine, who were excellent and had a lot of amazing players in it. Because he ran that band, he, he was able to get them to come to our school to play at the music night. And so I saw them and thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. And, it, and again, I saw the Catholics when I was quite young, and that was probably one of the big things that got me enthusiastic about jazz. So it was just, I think a lot of it was luck just who I happened to see at ver at various things and it just sparked something for me that I then kept chasing it and finding out more and more and, and, and got more into it as I got older. The two or three things that I think really hooked me into, into the music, first of all, the Catholics, without a doubt. I followed them around for years and years and years and I was a big groupie for a long time. So the Catholics would definitely have to be one of the one of my top listening things for understanding me. The next one would be John Schofield. I've listened to so much of John Schofield over the years and he's he's a big influence on the sort of music that I like to listen to and like to play. And the third one is probably one that most people say for very, very different reasons, and that would probably be Miles Davis. It's kind of hard to explain why Miles is 
is one for me because he has so many different aspects of his playing depending on which decade you happen to pick. But I think the biggest reason for Miles is just how to make a single note count. (laughs) Nobody else can do it quite like him. And also the ability to reinvent yourself. You can say Miles Davis and within the body of his work I think pretty much everybody can find one era that appeals to them in some way so I think he's a wonderful one. I started I started going to gigs very, very early on. When I was about 13, I think, I went to what were then the Pan Pacific Jazz Camps, which they used to hold in the, in the Christmas holidays, and they were run by John Morrison. I met John and a few other people through those, and I was fortunate that I then used to go and see them at gigs, and they were incredibly generous and used to invite me up to sit in, and I could barely play. I, you know, I had, I'd been playing trombone for three years or something, so I don't know what they were thinking. But, but nevertheless, they used to invite me to sit in, and I was very young, and through that I met lots of other other people and just I kept going out and seeing more and more gigs I, I would trail trail my parents around all over Sydney to see music every weekend at all different places so I was I got very involved very young which was wonderful because it meant that I, I met amazing number of people from a very young age and sort of really came into the into the jazz industry already knowing most of the people around I think the immersion with the scene is is very important. Well, it was for it was for me because for me it be, it became just as much about the social context as about the music. I was more inclined to go to gigs because I could say, oh, I know that person. That's wonderful. I get to go and see somebody who I who I know and who's amazing. So that 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 was a huge part of it, definitely. And just the more the more exposure you can get to it, the more music you can go and see, the quicker you're going to learn. And that's something that I always I always really push to students. I decided to make music my life very, very early on. It was sort of at the end of primary school. I was about 11 or 12. I was accepted into the Conservatorium High School and I said to my parents, I want to go to Conservatorium High School. I'm going to be a professional musician. And they said to me, no, no, don't be silly. <laughs> You've got to get an education first. As, as the Conservatorium High School, while wonderful for music, was not known for education being its one of its strongest suits. So um, I went to a different high school first, but I was adamant from the age of 11, no, no, I'm going to keep doing music and you know, my parents thought I'd grow out of it, but here I am today. I still haven't. I don't know what made it so firm in, firm in my mind. I think I just I was playing in lots and lots of bands, and I was just loving it. I, I would take on every band that was was offered to me. There were a lot of community bands who were always looking for players. So even when I was still ten or eleven, I I got invited to play with lots of adult community bands and I felt wow you know this is just amazing everybody wants me to play I'm just going to keep doing it as long as they let me. Yeah, I think I did build confidence as a performer pretty pretty early on, just from the sheer amount of playing that I was was doing and the encouragement that I received from everybody that I was playing with. I was generally playing with people who were much older than me and they were all so supportive and encouraging. I just wanted to keep going and I felt very confident because they, they kept telling me how wonderful it was. <laughs> Being the first recipient of the Jan Rutherford Award in 2005, I was 
I was still at the university when I received it. I think in hindsight I was possibly a little too young to receive it and didn't take full advantage of the opportunity that it presented. And looking back now, that's something that I, I really regret. I took a band into the studios at ABC and we recorded some music. Sadly, not enough for a full CD, but still some wonderful music that came out of that and also received the opportunity to go and play down at the Melbourne Women's Jazz Festival, which was, which was great. Yeah, so it was it was a, it was a wonderful opportunity, but I I wish I'd taken more advantage of it. <laughs> I think uh, as an older musician, looking back on it now, I would have made more of the recording session and definitely tried to actually put out a CD because I think that's really important for raising your profile. You have to have music out there which people can get hold of, otherwise you get a little bit little bit lost. And I think also I would have tried to piggyback a lot more other opportunities on it in terms of gigs, being able to use the exposure from the Jan Rutherford Award to really much more further my career rather than just sort of sitting back and and doing the things that were just presented to me. I really wish I'd, I'd chased a lot more. I always firmly stand in in the idea of I'm a musician who happens to be a female. I've never been a huge fan of of being promoted just because I, ha- I happen to be female. I have, I have a problem with that. I, li- I like to be able to be recognised as a musician in my own right. I don't think gender should have anything to do with it. I think playing in all-women ensembles is very different from playing in other ensembles, for sure. There's a, there's a very different mentality, very generally speaking. I think most men tend to have a more competitive sort of aspect <laughs> to their playing. That's not saying that all, all male musicians have that because it's, that's definitely not the case. But in general, that does tend to be a sort of a, a consistent sort of thing which comes up again. But we don't tend to find that with, with female ensembles, which, which, is, which is wonderful. It's, it's, it's a much more supportive way of playing. Having said that, I, I always feel that if you're going to play in an all-women band, it has to be for musical reasons rather than only because you want to do an all-female band. That's, that's something that I feel quite strongly about. Over the last 15 years, from when I first did the women's workshops and when I first started at the Conservatorium, I think things have changed greatly for young women in jazz. When I first started at the Conservatorium, it was a four-year degree and there was me and one other female student in the entire four-year degree, um, which didn't bother me at all. But from where from where it was then to where it is now, where we're out of 60-odd student, there's 10 15 female students it's changed greatly every year there's so many more girls being involved at the conservatorium anyway with the jazz side if I came across a 14 15 year old version of myself now if they wanted to do music i would encourage them if that's what they really want to do i think it's a wonderful thing to be able to dedicate yourself to to what you do but at the same time i always try and be really honest with people that it's not an easy way to make a living and it really depends what you want to do it's definitely not an easy way to make make a living but if it's what you really love then go for it
Changing the Face of Jazz this week, featuring trombonist Alex Silver. We heard some of Alex's music, the last piece you heard was called Hit and Myth, and before we heard Alex speak about her music and her career, we heard a piece called It Could Happen to You. Both were performed by the Alex Silver Quintet, they were recorded live for the Jazz Action Society in 2014, and are available on the CD, the double CD, called The Ruby Sessions, a series of live recordings for the Jazz Action Society. We also heard some snippets from another piece by Alex and her quintet called Jack the Lad. And that's Changing the Face of Jazz for this week. You have been listening to Eastside Radio Podcast. For selections of more enjoyable content like this, visit our website, eastsidefm.org, and click on Podcast.